Welcome to Vision Drip, a podcast designed to give you a steady drip of our vision, mission, and DNA to establish and refine the gospel culture at Sacred City Church. I'm your host, Pastor Sam Schmidt, church planter and pastor of Sacred City Church in Moline, Illinois. I am so excited to have you with me as I hope this podcast helps to equip you as a disciple of Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life as we set out to make disciples, plant churches, and renew the city. Not only do I hope that this podcast helps you grow, but it would grow your affections for Jesus. So let's dive into this episode of Sacred City Vision Drill. It's Wednesday, January 20th. Uh, if you've opened up a newspaper or uh, looked at the Google headlines today, you probably know this, but it is Inauguration Day. Uh, as of 11 o'clock this morning, we have a new president, the 46th president of the United States, President Joe Biden, accompanied by pr- uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. And uh, it's a big day. It's a it's a significant day in the course of our, our country. And whether you're excited about it or you're lamenting it, uh, our Christian duty stands to pray for those uh, who are governing us and to see that God would use them um, to bring about the flourishing, not just of our country, but of all peoples. And so I just want to encourage you to do that, be lifting up our political leaders in prayer. Um, and the other thing that's been going on this week that makes it a significant week is that uh, Monday was a holiday. You may have had the day off even. Uh, is Martin Luther King Day, celebrating the life, the work, uh, the legacy of this so- civil rights movement leader, this giant um, who created such a, a drastic impact on our culture, our society, um, in the pursuit of racial equity. And so one of the things that I like to do um, is go back and kind of reread his letter to uh, that he wrote a letter from a Birmingham jail. Um, just an absolutely incredible piece of writing. Uh, so good. So, so good. So if you haven't had a chance to read it, I would highly, highly, highly recommend um, going back and reading it. And as I was reading it um, this week, I was kind of struck by something, something that um, that seems just as relevant, just as pressing today um, as it did when he wrote it back in 1963. And, and now if you don't know anything about Martin Luther King Jr., I think it's worth going back and reading. He was, uh, he was a pastor. Um, he loved the word of God. Um, even in this letter, he talks about how, how much he loves the church. And, and while he's loved the church, he sort of lamented the church because this, um, this, letter that he's written from Birmingham jail is in response to some of his critics, uh, the agitators who are telling him to stop doing what he's doing. They're basically saying, hey, you need to just, you know, be patient. Uh, ha- ha- give this some time. It'll work itself out. Um, the whole racial injustice thing. It's only, you know, it's a blip of time. It's, it's going to go away eventually. Um, but, but the people who are saying this, uh, that were kind of like having this sort of tolerance for injustice were, were mostly white uh, Protestant pastors. And, and that this is actually who's, who's addressing, and he's just sharing in this letter the reason why there's an urgency for this. Um, but he does this in such a, a winsome uh, and compelling way. I think this is very compelling. Um, and, and so in this, he, he talks about how much he loves the church, and, and usually... He, you stand up for the things that you love. Like you're not just going to let, you know, it's like 
as a Raiders fan, okay, the Raiders are notoriously bad. They just are a constant letdown. And I don't, I've never like resigned to not having sort of any sort of, uh, thoughts or opinions about the Raiders organization. And I think it's because, you know, in fact, I, I have all, all these ideas that if I were the GM or, you know, and, and this would probably not work out in my favor or be successful at all. Uh, but if I were the GM, I have these thoughts and opinions about what would make it better. And so like, there's this drive. It's because I like the Oakland Raiders. I love the Raiders. I, I want to see them flourish. I want to see them hit their maximum potential. It's the same thing that's driving um, this critique or this response from um, Martin Luther King as he is interacting with these white pastors who are slow to link arms with him in the pursuit of, of racial justice. Now, this is a, a conversation, especially like given our current circumstance, uh, when, the, when there's all these different definitions of what racial justice is and the ways to achieve racial justice. I think I don't have time to refute all of the false beliefs just because there's so many of them. Instead, I want to assert to you what the biblical perspective, what a, a Bible-believing Christian ought to think about um, racial justice justice um, and the pursuit of social justice um, is that it, it is a gospel issue. This is not something that is an extracurricular. It's not a, a, uh, a, a social dynamic thing that is beyond the reach of the gospel. This is something the gospel speaks directly to. You see it uh, over and over again in the New Testament, specifically in relation to the Jews and the Gentiles. There's some, some racial and ethnic controversies and d- dividing walls of hostility um, that have been erected, and, and Jesus has come to tear those down. And so we see the Apostle Paul say, hey, there's no, no longer Jew nor Greek. Because of Jesus, there's no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer male or female, no slave or servant, uh, or slave or master. Um, all of these dividing walls, all of these social categories that pit pit people against each other have been pulled down because the cross, the, uh, you know, I forget who says maybe John Stott say the, at the foot of the cross is, is equal footing. Okay. The, the, it's level ground at the foot of the cross. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's in need of grace. Regardless of what has transpired in our cultural and ethnic pasts, everybody is a sinner who's in need of grace and Jesus has ample grace for us. And so one of the things as Christians that we believe the Bible teaches is that Every human being was created in the image of God. That means that every human being has embedded within them uh, value, dignity, and worth that God has placed there. Um, and that does not you know, rise and fall based upon what culture or traditions or ethnicities that you associate with. Um, it is implanted there by the grace of God because we are image bearers. And therefore, as Christians who realize the gospel pulls down the dividing walls of hostility. We are all image bearers of God. We should have this conviction and concern uh, for racial justice in a way that 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 not just like, oh yeah, we support that and we'll put up a sign or whatever, but in a way where we have this desire to see God build a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural church here at Sacred City because the gospel is that strong, right? And so it's like when people look at our, our, our church and how we're you know, the, the composition of our church and, and the different ethnicities and cultures and just, uh, I mean, you can talk politically, age-wise, gender, socioeconomic status, all of the aspects of diversity that God would uh, compile a diverse church for the sake of his glory and showing off just how powerful um, the gospel is. Now, one of the things that I'm sensing here, I just in general, um, in the white evangelical world is a resistance to this um, because, oh, that sounds Marxist. That sounds like, you know, a secularist 
human secular sort of vision for our culture. Well, actually, no, it's not. This is a biblical concept that's been hijacked uh, by these secular organizations or secular ideologies. Like we have to stay true to what the Bible teaches. And so we should have this conviction um, for for racial justice, for for racial equity. Um, And so as I'm reading this, this letter from Birmingham Jail, uh, Reverend King talks about um, just how much he loves the church, why he speaks up, you know, why he's speaking up in this moment. He loves the church. It's his love for the church that drives him. Uh, but at the same time, he's lamenting over the laxity of the church. He says, I, I'm lamenting. I've wept over the laxity of the church. And what he says next in this next paragraph, I'm going to read it to you, is just so pressing that even in this cultural moment where we stand in, uh, there like we should adopt this this mentality that he's trying to get out of here. He says this. Um, it's about halfway through, a little over halfway through of, of this letter. He says, "There was a time when the church was very powerful." Now, what what he's talking about is not like politically powerful, but he's talking about like a power of the spirit, right? A supernatural power. And and he's talking about, and this time was in the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. Now, part of the critique that that Martin Luther is facing, or Martin Luther King is facing, is that, you know, you should just, you know, Put your head down, endure this suffering, um, and take it. At, you know, just just take it. Basically, it's, it's sort of like take the passive route. Now, um, the problem with that that if you're a Christian, this should go deeply against our convictions. He said it: um, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Is that how it's backwards? Something, something to that effect. That where there's injustice, you know, where, wherever there's injustice, it's a threat to justice everywhere. And so we should be concerned about that because that's one of the things, that's one of the characteristics of God. He's a just God. He's upright. He has this morality. He has this virtue um, that as his people, we are meant to body. Um, and so he's, he is standing up for what he's believing and he's very much suffering. He's in prison and, and he goes on to suffer uh, much worse for it. And he says, in those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. That is a profound statement. Right now, the church is scrambling to fit in with whatever society deems as appropriate, whether... <laughs> Oh boy. Whether that's in views of homosexuality and the transgender revolution, whether that's in, in view of um, uh, the position of, of women in the church and what kind of leadership roles they can have, and uh, is it egalitarian or complementarianism? Um, there's all kinds of, of different issues that the church is uh, just simply adopting the language, the vocabulary, the uh, the drive from the culture rather than being the thermostat that sets the temperature, that sets the social example uh, from the church to the culture. This is, this is wildly um, confronting of the American church. This is wildly confronting of the American church. Like what he's calling here for is just a, an orthodoxy, a uh, clinging to the word of God that would drive us to live in such a way that the people would look in at, at what's going on in the church and say, wow, that there's something going on there. They're doing something right. You know, something's going on and something's going right. We're interested in this and they slowly start adopting. And we've seen a little bit of that, you know, like we, you know, 
you say we, we're founded, we're a Christian society. I, I don't think that's necessarily true, um, but but certainly Christianity has influenced a lot of what our society and what our, our nation was founded upon. Anyway, so he goes back in the, uh, in those days, those days of power. The church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that was that's transformed the mores of the society. Whenever the early church entered a town, the people in power became disturbed and immediately sought to convict the Christians for being disturbers of the peace and outside agitators. But the Christians pressed on in the conviction that they were a colony of heaven called to obey God rather than man. Small in number, they were big in commitment. They were too God-intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. By their effort and example, they brought an end to such ancient evils as infanticide and gladiatorial contests. He's talking about, you know, like literally just throwing babies out in the street so they die and and sending Christians um, into the Colosseum to be devoured by lions and, and whatever they had or, you know, killed for sport. And he says, things are different now. Like, we don't do that anymore. Uh, well, you might say abortion is is maybe an exception to that word. That, that obviously, as a Christian, we do care about that. Uh, and want to see justice for the unborn. Um, but but as far as like leaving babies out on the street, we don't do that anymore. As far as gladiatorial contests, things have changed. Like the church has had an impact on the society. And, and then he keeps on going, so often the contemporary church is weak, an effectual voice with an uncertain sound. So often it is an arch defender of the status quo. Far from being disturbed by the presence of the church, the power structure of the average community is consoled by the church's silent and often even vocal sanction of things as they are. This is, this is convicting. Like this is a big deal. And, and I hope you listen to this because whether it, it's, you know, the matters of race uh, and social justice, whether it's um, sexuality, um, defending the, the, the nuclear family and what that is, um, the church is going to be, the church is just going to be in a weakened and in, uh, an unpowerful, what would the, uh, just emptied of its power, emptied of its prophetic, uh, vision and it, its prophetic, uh, ability to live a certain way. Um, when the church fails to do that, we become irrelevant. We do. The church becomes irrelevant. If we aren't committed to the word of God, if we're not committed to pursuing the things that God cares about and being the thermostat that sets the temperature for the culture. Now, my hope at Sacred City Church is that we would not be a church uh, that that lingers in silence and, God forbid, be one that gives um, vocal consent to injustice, um, but that we'd be a church that cares about justice like God cares about justice, that we'd be a church for the vulnerable and the weak and those who don't have a voice um, to be the defender of the of the um, the guilty, to be to be the defender of those who, who can't defend themselves. Um, and, and to stand in there because ultimately that's what Jesus did for us, where, where we were powerless over sin and death, where we were powerless um, over the principalities and, and the powers of this earth. Jesus stepped in for us, that he was strong for us. He demonstrated his strength um, ultimately by weakness, by by going to the cross, by laying down his life. And so as we sit here, um, you know, with, with Monday being Martin Luther King Day, um, February is is Black History Month. Um, there's just going to be a lot of opportunities to to 
we're going to hear about it a lot. And so as Christians, rather than sort of blocking our ears and say, okay, this again, and just sort of like tolerating those conversations, I think we need to ask God that, that he would soften our hearts to hear and to see, um, hear from him and to see the world as he sees it so that we would not be arch defenders of the status quo, that we wouldn't be responsible for maintaining the dysfunction in our culture, instead be a transformative agent within our city, within our culture, um, that, that proclaims the glories of Christ and the reconciliation, uh, he brings. And so let's, I am committed to this. I'm committed to this. I, I want to see this. I want to see the gospel move in power. And I know that to see this in the church, um, there has to be hard work that happens because not everybody is there. Not everybody shares the same convictions. And the more you go to your Bible, um, the more you see God's vision because it, it begins in a garden and it ends in this, uh, lush forest, like the new heavens, new earth, right? It's like this forest city. Um, and what happens is the best of all cultures are brought into the kingdom of heaven. The best things that every culture has to offer gets brought in. So the culture, the kingdom of heaven is a multicultural kingdom. And if you don't like that idea now, you're not going to like it in eternity. And so let's, let's, incline our hearts uh, towards the eternal kingdom of heaven. Uh, let's lean into the power of the spirit who leads us um, to righteousness, that we would be a church that that is a thermostat for our culture, that has this desire for Rachel, Rachel, gosh, if, if you're Rachel out there, uh, we don't desire Rachel, we desire racial justice and equity um, to see the gospel um, move in power. That's what I got. That, that's what I've been thinking. I've been sitting on uh, a podcast like this for a while. I just, I have a really hard time to be honest with you, bringing this up. I don't know. I don't know what the starting point is for a lot of people. I don't know what people think when they hear this. And so it'd be really helpful to hear from you, even if you disagree from me or disagree with me, um, to hear where you stand on some of these things. So, so I can best lead you and pastor you, um, in the word of God. Now I, I do want to share briefly uh, a book that, that I recently read now, ever since this summer, I've been, at all times, been reading a a book about uh, racial matters. Um, I've read some some great books. I've read some not so great books. I've read some help, very helpful books and some not so helpful books. And um, and I think I've shared I shared that um, I don't know when it was exactly, but I, I mentioned at one point um, just some of the books that I read. And honestly, the books that I was reading at the time probably weren't the greatest books. And so I, I necessarily don't stand by those recommendations. But here's a book that that. Uh, we spent some time reading together uh, as the elders of, of Sacred City. Um, it's called Beyond Racial Gridlock. It's by uh, a guy named George Yancey. It's very, very readable, okay? There's a lot of these books that are very hard to read. Um, and what I love about this book, George Yancey, he's a Christian. Um, he's writing for the church, um, not not from some sort of secular perspective, not a Marxist uh, ideology. Um, he's writing from a, a biblical perspective, and you can see it because right away he starts out talking about the problem that we have with racism is you get beneath it. It's it's the sin uh, of partiality, uh, of prejudice, um, of preferring people who look and sound and, and think and um, act like me over others. And and of course, you know, I, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but, but James says that God is not a God of partiality. And so we should not be people of partiality, that if we are practicing the way of Christ, um, that we can't be that kind of people. And so he says, listen, um, the, the racial issue 
at its core is a sin issue. It's there's some sort of defect in the hearts of all people that contributes to the racial turmoil that we find ourselves in. Now, okay, so white people, our lineage, our our ancestors have a responsibility for the fact of of making slavery a reality, and that was heinous, absolutely terrible, terrible, um, and that's sort of part of just. I don't know, like there's, there's a reality of that, 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 that was just sort of our heritage. That was, that was where we came from. And, and for African-Americans, um, and other minorities where that were oppressed by white people, there's easily this animosity and hatred that can be harbored. Um, both of which are, are not going to contribute to, um, any sort of race, racial reconciliation. It has to deal with a sin issue. Now, one of the things that you hear touted off a lot is when people say, yeah, you know, we don't have a race issue. We have a sin issue. And they sort of dismiss, you know, and, and the mentality behind this is if, if we just made everybody Christian, then we would no longer have, uh, any of this racial issues that we have as a society, but but research and studies have shown that that's far from the case. Because still, one of the most segregated times of day uh, or the week is on Sunday mornings. Like we we have black churches, we have white churches, we have Korean churches, we got all these different churches that are are you know, and there are some multi ethnic, multicultural churches, but but. The, they're kind of a, an anomaly um, for the most part. And even then, when you get to more of like the, the smaller community groups of like people actually doing life together, uh, it tends to be homogenized. So it's not something that we're like really excelling at as a church. So even even as Christians, we're not doing a great job at it. Um, the, the issue hasn't gone away. In fact, um, there's there's many studies that have shown that, that a, a white evangelical perspective can actually cause uh, more disruption and more hindrances to uh, uh, racial unity um, than than actually contribute to racial unity. So that that's something that that just like blows up that whole paradigm. That the idea that you know just preach the gospel, it'll fix itself, sort of thing. Well, what what George Yancey talks about, like what we're dealing with, are very specific sins, um, and, and depending on where you're at and who you are, your sins are probably going to be different. So we can't just say, hey, you know repent of your sin and not explain what it means to repent of sin and get specific about uh, the specific uh, steps in discipleship. Um, and so he kind of goes through, he breaks down some some models uh, that are pretty common um, uh, of that that are common models that are mostly secular models that, that there's been a little bit of Christianity sprinkled in, um, in a couple of them, but ultimately they're secular models that, that are not necessarily fulfilling and don't seem to have any sense of, of longevity. And instead what he offers is this, this mutual responsibility, um, model of, of racial reconciliation where it's not just up to white people, uh, to repent of, of all the bulk of sins. It's not just up to black people to assimilate and, you know, kind of throw their culture away. Um, he says that there has to be movement on both ends of the party or both on both parties, um, to move forward into reconciliation. And I, I think it's very insightful. I think it's very helpful. Um, he doesn't have like really concrete answers on how to do this, but I think this is where Christian imagination kicks in. There, there's a lot of great principles that if you want to be uh, committed to this, if you want to link arms with us as we desire to see God make us more of a, a multicultural church, um, this would be a really good re- book for you to read. And and I just think it's very accessible. Uh, the other thing is, it's just like, if you go to the footnotes of, of this book, like there are so many um, different 
books that are uh, referenced. Um, he it's well read, well researched. Um, it, it's a good book, guys. It's it's very helpful, and it's you know, like I said, it's from a Christian author. So there is a biblical framework that it runs throughout. Um, and it could help us. And so as we, you know, continue to move forward in this and pray for this, that God would do this work in our church, um, this could be a helpful resource. So if you got time, pick it up, uh, read it. I'd love to talk about it. If this is something, conversation that interests you, um, whether you're, you're, you know, ag- in agreement with me or you're not in agreement with me, I'd love to talk about it. So um, shoot me an email, hit me up uh, on Realm or wherever you can get a hold of me, and, and let's talk about this. And with the grace of God, let's move forward and, and catch this vision of the kingdom of heaven unfolding before us, seeing a multi ethnic church uh, represented here in the Quad Cities, here in, at Sacred City Church, um, pointing forward to the reality of what will come in the new heavens, new earth, when all cultures, every tr- tongue, every tribe, every nation will come in to the courtroom uh every every will come into the to the uh god's uh holy temple and worship him uh for what he is and what he's done